The following is an encore presentation of Access Utah. However, you can still participate in this conversation at upraccess at gmail.com. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The abduction of Elizabeth Smart was one of the most followed of child abduction cases of our time. She endured a nine-month ordeal after being abducted from her home in the middle of the night in June of 2002 at age 14. She's become an advocate for change related to child abduction, recovery programs, and national legislation. She's founder of the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. She writes, too many families experience the nightmare of having a child go missing. I know what it's like to be that child. I know what it's like to think that one false move may lead to not only your own death, but the death of family members as well. Nobody can ever blame a child for their actions when they're being threatened, bullied, forced, or coerced into doing something unthinkable. That's why the Elizabeth Smart Foundation was created, she says, because what if we could prevent future crimes against children? Wouldn't it be worth it to do everything to bring home that one child? What if you were that one child? Or what if it was you who helped prevent or bring home that one child? Elizabeth Smart has chronicled her experiences in the New York Times bestselling book, My Story, and she joins us for the first half of the program today. In the second half, we'll be talking with Steve Daly, Executive Director of Rad Kids, one of the Elizabeth Smart Foundation's partner programs. Rad Kids describes their mission as to provide through education realistic choices for children to avoid and or escape violence or harm in their daily lives. We're talking uh, with Elizabeth Smart. Um, she is head of the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. Of course, uh, many people will have read her book. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, so I wondered. So, so for some people, uh, you've been out there, but uh, for some people, maybe frozen in time a bit. Uh, you've you served an LDS mission, uh, got married, uh, and recently had a baby. Yes, yes, I had a baby girl. She's about fifteen months old now. Uh, so it's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so this, I'm guessing that, that having having a baby just intensifies the your desire to do the work that you're doing. In a, in a way that even I can't believe. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about the work you are doing. Elizabeth Smart uh, Foundation, uh, the, the, right at the top of the website, Bringing Hope and Stopping Victimization. I guess those are two of the main points of, of the organization. So we focus a lot on uh, prevention education. I mean, if we can educate children right now, help them to realize what is acceptable behavior, what's not acceptable, when an adult has their best interest at heart, when they don't, and that it's okay that they can tell, that they can speak out, that they don't have to be scared, that they're going to get hurt, or that someone they love is going to get hurt, then we're ahead of the game. And obviously we can't eliminate all forms of abuse, but if we can at least educate children on what's okay, then they have a plan of action. They know what they can do when something happens that's not okay. So we focus a lot on prevention education. We also uh, have worked with the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Forces because a lot of people don't realize just how prevalent child pornography is and how damaging it and what the task forces are able to do is really to look at these situations and and try to find clues and hints as to where these children are at and trying to be able to rescue them is really incredible work, what they're doing. So we do everything that we can support them. The foundation also, uh, I also, I do go out and I share my story a lot because the statistics, how one in four boys and girls are abused before they're 18, but then when I actually started having people put faces to them, it just started to impact me on a whole different level, and so many people have this idea that somehow rape is something to be ashamed of, somehow it was their fault, like they could have done something to prevent it, or they wore something that was too provocative, or it was just a boyfriend, or it was their husband, but rape is rape across the board, so... I share my story to try to help other survivors realize that it doesn't need to define who they are and that they don't have to be ashamed of what happened to them. So uh, I guess that's the, the message. It's a powerful message. I wondered specifically, how do, you, how do you recover from that? How do you get to that uh, place of strength, having gone through something as traumatic as, as you did? I think it's going to be different for everybody because we all are different and we all process differently. But I think a lot of it, it does take time. It does take talking about it, healing about it, finding the therapy that's right for you. So 
whether that's traditional therapy or music or animals or whatever, um, finding that and then just allowing yourself time to feel the pain, allowing yourself to feel what you feel, but also recognizing that that this isn't everything. This doesn't make you any less of a person or doesn't lessen your value in any way. And, and it's a process. So I wish I had an exact formula of, you know, do this and this and this and everything will be okay. Unfortunately, I don't. But it's a journey that we all kind of have to find for ourselves. Mm. You on the website, one of the you know, bringing hope, and uh, that's uh, I guess bringing hope to bring uh, kids back, but also perhaps hope through. Uh, you know, heaven forbid a, a kid gets abducted, but uh, that's one of the things you write about in your in your book. You're keeping your hope alive through 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 all that. How how did you do that? Well, I feel so lucky and so blessed to have the family that I have. That for me, that's really what was key in helping me to. Survive was knowing that they would always love me, knowing that they'd always want me back, even though all these terrible things had happened to me, and thinking that maybe nobody else would want to be my friend or have anything to do with me, but then realizing that my family means want the best for me, and my faith in God, knowing that there's someone there that's watching over me, that, that knows what I'm going through, and that in the end, it'll all work out. <laughs> <laughs> is this your that's your baby in the background there mm. yes <laughs> wonderful so uh in fact you uh, this is one of the revelations in your book you 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 were thinking your way through this uh, this is a horrible experience um and you write that you 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 tried to manipulate your or or encourage your captors to come back to utah you were you were instrumental in doing that and of course very soon after you're back in utah you were re- recovered Yes, I I had watched my captors for so long uh, manipulate and lie to other people. And I remember it was early spring or spring was coming on shortly. And my captors had spoken of new places to take me, places like Boston and New York. And I remember just thinking, well, nobody found me while I was in Utah. Nobody has found me while I'm in California I I mean, the farther away I go, the less likely I am to ever be found. So the best chance that I have to survive is if I can get back to Utah. But I can't just go and say, oh, I think we should return to Utah. That just sounds like a brilliant idea because, well, that will just never work. So how can I convince them to return? And I just remembered thinking about how I I had watched them look police officers in the eye and just lie to them and having fully trained homicide detectives believe them. And I remember thinking, well, if they can do that and get away with it all this time, surely I can get away with it once. And so I remember praying and, and asking for help, asking, uh, asking to be able to convince them. And then I remember facing my captors and just telling them how I had this feeling that we needed to return to Utah, but that I wasn't, I, I wasn't good enough or righteous enough to, to receive revelation from God. And that I knew that if he would please ask God that he would tell him, but because this feeling just it wouldn't leave me alone, and I just needed to know. And if anything, in that moment, that was Brian Mitchell just feeling like he had grasped total and complete control over me, that I was finally accepting him for what he portrayed himself as. And so that's kind of what made him come back and say, oh, I think you're right. I think we do need to return to Utah. And then he started to wonder and talk aloud about how would we get back. Well, I had had an idea for that as well. My captors, I mean, they, I don't know if they just love to hear themselves talk or what, because they spoke nonstop. I mean, it was all the time. And they'd tell me about their lives, how they had traveled all over the country and how they had all these experiences, and that I was kidnapped. They 
we have this, uh, I, I guess I just almost want to call it like a mantra that they lived by, or when they wanted to force me to do something, they would say that we needed to sink below all things before we could rise above them, and that I couldn't think I was so good and clean and, and nice because I really wasn't and I had to experience all these things to appreciate them and that's I mean that's how he I mean he had sexually abused me so much by saying that and forcing himself on me uh, that's how he brought drinking and drugs and forced me to do that and that's how they'd always justify it anyways so I had had this whole mantra, if you will, sort of pounded into me nonstop. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, the best way for me to be able to escape would be is if I can have a lot of contact with a lot of different people in a space that's not controlled by my captors. And my captors had talked to me so much about their days hitchhiking around the country that I thought that that would be a perfect way for us to get back to Utah and hopefully someone would recognize me or call the police or realize that something was wrong with this whole situation. And so we did end up hitchhiking back, but it was because of them always saying that we needed to sink below all things. That was how I was able to convince them that we needed to hitchhike back because I I pointed out to them that my parents had driven me everywhere my whole life and that I was so uh, just spoiled that I never had to use public transportation before, that I never had to just basically rely on the complete charity of a stranger to pick us up off the side of the road. I mean, I had been delivered door to door by my mom every day of my life. And Wanda Barzee never liked the thought of me not having to experience anything that she had to experience. And so she piped right in and said, well, you're right. You need to experience this. We need to, you need to hitchhike. And so that's, that's how it was decided that we would return to Utah. That's, that's real presence of mind in the middle of a very traumatic uh, situation. Uh, how do you, what, what do you tell uh, kids if, you know, heaven forbid they're, they're abducted, what, uh, how, what, what to do, what to, how to keep their head? What, what do you tell, you tell kids? Well, first and foremost, I tell them it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or says. You just need to do what you need to do to survive. Just survive is the most important thing because when I go out and speak now, it's not uncommon for people to say, well, why didn't you run away when you were in public? Or or you should have tried this or you should have tried yelling or you should have done that. And... For a long time, that was actually something that was really kind of hard for me to hear and understand why they would ask that kind of question. But as I got older and thought about it a whole lot more, I realized that, first of all, they just didn't know what it was like to be in that situation. And second of all, I did everything I did to survive. And who knows, if I hadn't have made all the decisions that I made, maybe I wouldn't be here. I don't know, but... The fact is that I am here, that I did survive. And so when I speak to children or victims, I tell them, do whatever you have to do to survive and don't worry about the rest. Mm. And uh, that can take, I mean, survival can take come in many different forms. It's not always what you would think it to be. I mean, sometimes it may seem, well, take my situation. There were times when I was brought out in public, and I did exactly as I had been told. I mean, I walked right next to them, seemingly willingly, but it wasn't because I wanted to. It's because I wanted to survive. Yeah, that's that's important. The first, the first, the first thing. Yes. Um, I, I wonder if you tell me a bit about there's a there's an organization Elizabeth Smart Foundation is uh, is is partnering with it's called Rad Kids. Seems like a very important uh, program. Yes, so Rad Kids, it's a prevention education program that we've worked a lot with. And the great thing about Rad Kids is that it's all activity-based. I know for me when I was in school, sometimes when I just would be lectured in class, no matter how important the lecture may have been, there I was always bound to miss part of it just because sitting there and listening isn't always the most effective way of learning. 
And so the great thing about Rad Kids is that it's all activity-based. So it's training these kids almost into their muscle memory so that when something does happen, they don't have to sit and wonder, what should I do? What should I do? Should I scream? Should I run? Should I do nothing? It's just kind of trained into them. And it's based on three very simple principles. The first one is nobody has the right to hurt you. The second principle is you don't have the right to hurt anybody else, including yourself. And the third principle, which I think is most important, is that it's not your fault, and you can tell. I have met countless victims, survivors, children who somehow feel that it's their fault for what has happened to them, that somehow they did something wrong, and this is their punishment or the consequences of their actions. And that's ridiculous. Nobody deserves to be raped or sexually assaulted or beaten. That's No child deserves that. And it sometimes... So, I th- uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, it's, it's very straightforward and, and it helps kind of put it in a fun activity-based way for children to learn, but and also to build into their muscle memory so that they're, they're not just scared when something happens. Well, obviously they will be scared, but they feel like they have an option. They have a choice they can make. I was watching a video on Rad Kids. This is uh, from your uh, website, ElizabethSmartFoundation.org. Uh, there's a there's a touching scene. There's a little boy, I don't know, eight years old or something, and they ask him, why are you at this Rad Kids training? And he says, because I'm worried that I might be abducted. And that's that's uh, it's very touching. This is something, I imagine, which could at least help him to feel empowered. Absolutely. I never dreamt that I would have been abducted. Ever. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't a rebellious child. I was pretty pretty vanilla as far as things go. And I thought I was in the safest world. I didn't think anyone could ever hurt me or reach me there, but I remember when it happened, I had been taught a lot of things in school. I mean, stop, drop and roll if if I caught on fire or get under my desk if there was an earthquake. Look both ways when you cross the street. But I had never been taught what I should do if someone tried to kidnap me from my bed at night. And so, at the very least, this program does give you an option. Mm-hmm. I was talking with some of our student interns uh, earlier today um, who are around your same age. One of them said that uh, you know, uh, when you were abducted, then he started worrying. That, that became a fear of, of his, I guess. that's And, and I was older. Uh, so I, that that wasn't an experience that I I had, um, but I guess there it's what I'm getting at is it's sometimes we filter this through through the mind and feelings of an adult and we it's useful to to see it through a child's eyes. I think it's important for for everyone to realize what is possible and what is out there, but at the same time, I think it's also important to not allow fear to consume your life. Because there are a lot of scary things in life, but the only thing worse than having them actually happen is not being able to live your life because you're just scared of them. Being educated and being prepared is the best thing that we can do for all children. Mm-hmm. I think I think most people would say that you've 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 handled your recovery and and, and, the, and the the range of your life to this point very admirably. Uh, wonder again how you. Uh, how you get to that place where you're not living your life scared after having such a had a, such a traumatic experience? Well, a lot of it was based on some advice that my mother gave me the day after I had been rescued. She said to me, what this man has done to you is so terrible. There aren't words strong to describe how wicked and evil they are. They've stolen nine months of your life that you'll never get back. But the best punishment you could ever give them is to be happy and to live your life and all the things that you want to do. So I certainly don't follow her advice perfectly all the time. I wish I did, (laughs) but I try. Mm -hmm. And I think that's given me perspective to help me to try to always remain positive. I mean, yes, I'm human. I still have my bad days, but it helps me realize if if I give up, if I... 
give in to my past, to what's happened to me, to my negativity, that I'm only allowing them to steal more of my life away from me. And they've already stolen so much, they don't deserve any more. There was a, I watched an interview with your parents, uh, is just uh, so impactful. Uh, Your father recounted an experience, I don't know if you remember this, Uh, he said that uh, your sister was going to look for you, this was at church, she found you in the bathroom, you were just sort of paralyzed, and you'd had a, this lady had apparently confronted you and said some awful things to you, Um, and so he said he he, he took you and your sister home and uh, to, to the study and, and talked about that you have the right to, to push back. You have the right to, to not hear these things. In fact, he had you two scream. He said, I want to hear you scream. I wonder if that's some of the things. I remember that very vividly. I, w- I had been trapped in the bathroom by a woman who, yeah, she was asking me terrible things and saying, well, you really ran away, didn't you? And you really loved Brian Mitchell, and how do you feel sending an innocent man to prison? and All sorts of terrible things, and honestly, because I didn't know how to deal with anything else, I went back into survival mode, which for me was just basically shutting down. And uh, it was my sister, yes, who came to my rescue again, as she so often does. And when my dad found out, I mean, I thought, thought he was going to go nuts. Anyways, he he did take me into his office, and that's really the beginning of when we started to become involved with Rad Kids, because my dad knew that this this was not okay, and that if it could happen to me at church, then it could happen anywhere. And he wanted to make sure that I knew that it was never my fault for what had happened, and that that nobody had the right to, to speak to me like that, to make me feel that way, let alone hurt me. And so that was that was the beginning of our relationship with the program Rad Kids. I went through it as a young woman, and I went through it as a trainer myself. So I believe in it. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a great uh, program. Just empower kids, let them know at least that they can do something. Um, what do you tell parents? What's your, what's your main advice to parents? Parents, I would make sure that your child never, ever questions your love for them and never, ever questions your belief in them. I mean, that is what got me through my kidnapping was knowing that my parents loved me unconditionally and that they would believe me, that they wouldn't think that I made anything that happened to me up, that it wasn't pretend. And knowing that is what helped me so much so I think it's very important for our children to always know how special they are and that nobody can ever replace them and know that their parents are their greatest allies and that they will always have their back and that they will always believe them no matter who who it is that's hurting them because most of the time these predators, they're not strangers. Most of the time there's someone that you know and that can be very difficult and very painful when brought to light. And so making sure that your children know that you believe them and you have their back and that if anyone ever threatens them or threatens them with their family, that there are things that you can do and that they need to tell you no matter what. That's the first thing I would tell parents. I believe you recently spoke to the family of Elizabeth Salgado, a woman missing, I think, for about a year now um, from from the Provo area. What do you what do you tell families of, of those who are still missing? I don't think there's much that I personally can tell them that they haven't already heard themselves. But I do know that if I survived, that Elizabeth Salgado still can be out there, that she can still be alive. And as I've spoken with them, they certainly do feel that she is alive and. And I just have to think that with all of the manpower and searching and resources that have gone into looking for her, and she hasn't been found yet, that she still must be alive and out there somewhere. And that's why we all need to maintain that hope and and keep looking, keep our eyes open, and report anything that seems even remotely fishy, because you just never know. Uh, Finally... um... I wonder how you navigate your, I mean, you have a famous name now, and, and, and you've 
turn that for, for good Elizabeth Smart Foundation. You're doing a lot of uh, good work. Are you able to live life when you want to and then go out in, in public and, and do those those works? Uh, are you able to navigate that these days? Um, hi. I'm so not perfect at anything, uh, but I try to. Uh, sometimes it's hard, but sometimes sometimes I seem to manage okay. Mm. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess like everyone, right? It's good days and bad days. Um, yeah. Well, uh, uh, congratulations on all the good work that you are doing. And um, Elizabeth Smart, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Okay. And our thanks to Elizabeth Smart for giving us uh, some time. You're listening to Access Utime, Tom Williams. Uh, and uh, Elizabeth Smart Foundation. You can find more information at elizabethsmartfoundation.org. Of course, uh, she has a best-selling book called My Story. Coming up following a break, we uh, talked with Elizabeth Smart about the program Rad Kids, and uh, we'll be hearing from their executive director, Steve Daly. We'll hear about uh, this uh, program following this break. This is Management Minute by Professor Scott Hammond. If you're asking yourself why your customer isn't buying your product or service, then maybe you don't know your customer. Excellent companies have regular dialogues with their customer. Customer relationships and service should be a part of every employee's responsibility. For example, a hospital system recently trained its housekeeping staff, the people who clean the patient's rooms, on how to better listen to patients because they're there with the patient. Your value is defined by your customers, not your marketing people or strategic planners. Customers tell us why they buy, and we just have to listen. Create excellence in your company by really listening to your customers and knowing how to bring value to them. The Management Minute is brought to you by our members and the USU Shingo MBA program at the John M. Huntsman School of Business a 15-month graduate degree for executives giving knowledge and skills to leverage the principles and tools of lean continuous improvement. Huntsman.usu.edu Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Cache Valley Center for the Arts presenting Momix Opus Cactus. Dancer illusionists use modern dance, aerial arts, and acrobatics to tell the story of Secrets of Desert Landscapes, Tuesday, October 11th at 7.30 p.m. Details at cashearts.org. The following is an encore presentation of Access Utah. However, you can still participate in this conversation at upraccess at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Our thanks to Elizabeth Smart for uh, being with us in the first half of the uh, program. Uh, through our uh, interview with Elizabeth Smart, we uh, talked about uh, the program uh, Rad Kids. And uh, now we bring in the executive director of Rad Kids, Steve Daly. Um, Rad Kids describes themselves as a not-for-profit educational organization dedicated to providing realistic choices and options for children and parents concerning their overall safety in the world today. It's our mission, they say, to provide through education realistic choices for children to avoid and or escape violence or harm in their uh, daily lives. And uh, the website is radkids.org. Steve Daly, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity, although following Elizabeth is never easy, yeah. so I'll do right. the best I can. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Smart, it's a, it's a partner organization with the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. She says she was trained, I guess, as a teenager and, the, and as an adult as well, so that's uh, she highly recommends it. Uh, piqued our interest. Sounds like a very impactful uh, 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 program. Uh, I want to... Uh, Get a bit from your biography, first of all, uh, Steve Daly. You had a uh, career in law enforcement? Yeah, I spent my first 21 years in law enforcement. I was fortunate enough to have every job from patrolman to chief, and, and after 21 years I uh, decided that I, it, people always ask, well, why did you leave? And I kind of got tired of showing up late. Um, in law enforcement, the goal is always to, to help protect and, and to stop crime, but the way it kind of sets up is, that you end up responding to calls usually rather than being there ahead of time. On occasion you are, but not enough. So I left to uh, get into this because I'd always been a trainer for police officers and women's safety, and, and we had been working on a children's model for a while. So um, it was an opportunity to go, and I, so I went from working with 
what I call adult kids, police officers, and now to real kids. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it, it's, it's a, it was a natural transition for me. Mm-hmm. So you wanted, to, you wanted to get into prevention rather than, than the coming after the fact. Is yeah, that, it's it kind of like the old parable. If you you know if you want to help someone and they're hungry, you teach them to fish. You don't just feed them. So um, the way to stop crime, and I remember it all the way back from oh, 1977 in a police academy where you know they're going to tell us the answers how to stop crime, and they called it an opportunity triangle. And and there's always going to be people who want to hurt people. There's always going to be potential people to be hurt. But how you change all that is take away the opportunity from the bad guy. And the best way to do that especially when it comes to children, is to teach them how to live safer in the world they live in. And we can do that without fear through the Rad Kids Empowerment Program uh, and actually give them the skills they need to live in the world that has changed around us since I've grown up. Tell me, uh, I wonder if you'd follow up on that. Uh, how, how much has it changed? I think we have a general idea that it, it has changed. Uh, how, how, how does it change, do you think? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to... To, to do that without kind of creating some fear. Um, but I will just say this, the Internet alone has changed our world completely. If you think about that, um, some of us who are raising our children today, that our kids are getting 100 to maybe 500 times more information a month than we did growing up. And the question is, is where's the context to all that? So there's been a lot of free-range information out there more than ever before, and and that puts more burden, I think, and more responsibility on the parents, but also on our schools and our structure to help kids be safer. And um, we have an internet problem, a crime in this country when it comes to pornography and other issues. And Utah is leading the way in trying to stop some of that and across the country, which is a great thing. But we, we have some, it's a different world than when I grew up. I mean, I remember my first mobile phone was as big as my shoe. So um, <laughs> it's, you know, it keeps changing. And mm-hmm. eventually, and our kids get, get exposed to, we have teddy bears that go online now. So they get exposed to so many different things that it is a different world. And without scaring people, we can best help our children by educating them how to live in the world that we live in now, not the ones that some of us grew up in, because things have changed. A good example would be stranger danger. Um, you know, I was raised with stranger danger. It's still in the milk. Everybody's got it. But it's not strangers that hurt our kids. It's people that have access to them. And rarely is it a stranger. And so in Rad Kids, we teach kind of behavior recognition to the children to trust their instincts and to establish their own boundaries. And we do that through a developmental curriculum. So, you know, we're trying to change with the world because you're going to see a lot of people and meet a lot of people, both online, offline, that you may not have met generations before. So it is a different world, and, and instead of living in fear, the opportunity to come on and join you, especially on this month, which is Missing Children's Month, um, in memory of missing children and, and hoping to recover them, I think we should focus a little more on what we can do. So in, instead of prevention, I like to use the can-do phrase um, because – one of the things that stops prevention is you can never prove what you stopped, I guess. Mm-hmm. But if we have less victimization, then we've won, and that's the goal. So, uh, This is kind of a slogan on your website, by the way, radkids.org. Telling your child to be safe is helpful at best. Training them to think, choose, and react is a gift. So I wonder that get that in, in, into uh, what is some of the training that, that goes on. a short explanation? Well, you know, kind of just where I started is that we were raised, and, and you might have well uh, have been raised the same way as I had, Tom, is the expectations, do's and don'ts. Parents told us what they expected. We said yes. Sometimes we did it. Sometimes we didn't. Um, you know, they were expectations. Expectations in safety education, those do's and don'ts, have really got to change in our world today because they're, they're really not applicable, and they actually set us up for failure. Um, children... Uh, the easiest way I try to put this in a training class is that women are blessed with a gift called intuition. And most of us men understand that, and we, we've dealt with that. But men have it, too. They call it indigestion. So it really depends on how you're, how you're perceiving the signals. But when children feel danger or something's not right and get that intuition response, they actually turn it into my fault. Uh, and t- up to up to about teenagers, they turn it into my fault, and because they do want to please their parents. So, to change that whole mindset, what we do is is give the kids permission first um, to have their own boundaries, and permission uh, gives them opportunity rather than expectations, which gives them 
what they're supposed to do. And in every scenario, it's going to be different. I think, what, I don't know what Elizabeth said because I was, I was unable to hear the interview, but one of the, the things I know she shares with many people is that she never had permission to say no or to hit a grown-up. And the truth is, is that permission gives you power when expectations of what do's and don'ts actually limit your opportunity to respond in a dangerous situation. So what we do is switch all that around through an activity-based fun program. Uh, for example, we teach the kids to run um, by chasing them and creating a stimulus response. They think it's a game, but what we're actually doing is training their instinctive mind to respond in danger. Um, again, it's playful for them, but we're also preparing them for if they, if the as parents and grandparents and people in the community who want our kids to be safe, what we want them to know is how to respond, not just what to do, because what to do has to come from them, not from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as you'd say on the website, uh, a child is with themselves 24 hours a day, and we may not be with them, so more valuable to train the child. Um, I, I talked to Elizabeth Smart a bit about the fact that as adults, we tend to get into an adult mindset, and we tend to transfer that to thinking it's hard for us to think how kids think so one of the things you said is they, they tend to transfer this intuition into my fault to what other factors should we be aware of how a child thinks i think what you just said is 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 so so incredibly important but i have to say this my, the quote of i am with myself 24 hours a day as many children in the organization have said that to us so we i can't take any credit for that but the it, it is putting it the first thing i tell instructors in our training is that we have to think like kids. The advantage is I may be in my 50s, but I still think like a five-year-old. So we have to think like what a kid needs. Like if they're trapped in a bathroom at school by a bully, what do they think is going to happen versus what do we expect to happen? And those are hard because when we grow up, I think the easiest way to put it for most of us as adults is some of us have said things to our own children that our parents said to us that we didn't like. And when it came out of our mouth, we went, ooh, where'd that come from? So is that we learn through a, a, a process of, of modeling. And so in Rad Kids, we actually take that modeling and give the power and permission to the child to establish their own boundaries, whether it's bullying, abduction, child abuse, doesn't matter what it is. The Rad Kids learn three critical life skills. Number one is that no one has the right to hurt them. That's not a stranger. That's anyone. Five to 105. And the reason that is is because they're special, self-value and self-worth. The second principle, which I don't know if Elizabeth shared them, but she probably did, or, or depending on the questions asked, but the second principle shifts power, and that is, since no one has the right to hurt you in rule number one, all rad kids learn that they don't have the right to hurt anyone else, including themselves, which we cover through vast safety issues around the house, the, the farm, or wherever they are. They explain what they'll do to make sure they're safe. We don't tell them what to do. They explain it. But everything changes in rule number two when you don't have the right to hurt anyone else, including yourself, unless. That word unless shifts all the opportunity to the child. Unless someone is trying to hurt you, and then you have every right to stop them. And by law, in every state in the United States of America, you have the right to stop someone from hurting you, the right to defend yourself. We have a lot of judgments that come out of that, but it has to start with understanding that you have that right. And in our training, we try to get the adults to understand that because kids instinctually understand it, but they have all these expectations of what they're supposed to do. A perfect example is I'm being bullied at school. I'm trapped. The school says, walk away. Don't, you can't, in the kid's mind, you can't fight back because they'll get in trouble. Their instinct says, don't let them hurt you. And they're kind of stuck in this process. Whereas an adult then looks at the context and goes, well, I want you to do this, but what if you do that? And if an empowered child will go, well, what if, what if, what if, what if? And the real key to this is when they ask a question, what if, that you help guide their answers, don't just give it to them. And I think as parents it's so, and teachers, educators, police officers, our job, we, we see our, our role as giving an answer and giving guidance. But the best answer is always going to come from that child making their own plan that meets our values and expectations as well. And to do that, we have to just shift the opportunity. And when it comes to danger, that starts with unless someone's trying to hurt you. The context gives them permission to respond. Not exactly how, of course, we give them many options, but permission to respond rather than expectations, I'll get in trouble, or I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. So, the, And the third rule of Rad Kids is probably the most important rule 
for all of us, even as adults, is to remember that if anyone ever hurt us before, or once they become a rad kid, if someone hurts you from that day forward, it's not your fault when someone hurts you. And so you can tell and keep telling until someone listens. Because many people have been victimized in their lives. They're not victims, but they've been victimized by someone else. But when we don't put the blame where it belongs on someone else and, and we accept it on ourselves when we had no, it wasn't our fault. We, they chose us. It doesn't matter where we were. We were in a situation where someone decided to hurt us. That's not our fault. And that's a skill we all need to understand so that we can move on to from the victimization. So with those three foundational principles, we take the kids from home safety, school safety, out and about safety, and they build their boundaries and their, and their, their self-value and self-worth through the curriculum, which is an activity-based curriculum. And as much as I just talked on answering your question, they don't even sit this long. They sit five or six minutes before they're getting up and doing an activity drill. So, for example, if, the, if we want the child to run from danger to safety, we explain what they, they define what danger is, we help them. They define what safety is, we help them. And then we do a drill where they get up and we actually chase them from danger to safety with a slight startle response, which will be like the Roadrunner cartoon, create, create a burst of energy in them, and they run to safe zone, and they, for the first time in their lives, have beat the bad guy or the boogeyman. So that process is, is accelerated learning theory, but it's, it's tied to cognitive learning principle. So instead of just saying something, we actually teach, train, and empower that child um, with those skills. And the formula that I got, the closest thing to got milk is permission first, context second, when they can, when they can't, and third is skill. And without all three of those, you're, you're, there's too many holes, and it gives the advantage to someone who's trying to hurt your child versus giving the power to your child to stop them. Oh, and that empowerment, I think, is, 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 a, is a key. I'm, I was watching a news report on Rad Kids, uh, found this Elizabeth Smart Foundation uh, website. Um, little boy, and I mentioned this to Elizabeth Smart, little boy about eight years old, he said the reason he was in the training was he was, a, he was scared. He was scared he was going to go get abducted. That's uh, it just touched my heart. That wasn't a fear. I had a lot of fears as a kid. That's not a fear I had, maybe the sign of the times. But I imagine that kid came through, he had a sense of empowerment after coming through the training. Well, a rad kid's mindset, and, and, and again, trying to answer something quickly, a rad kid's mindset is not what the way we grew up, help me, help me. It's how dare you touch me. So from the beginning of the class, being afraid, is that's normal. When you Education is the only thing that can take away fear and turn that into power. Now, we can use education to scare people, and we do that way too much in our society, but the, the truth is, is that knowing how to handle it, having choices and options at your discretion give you the power, not the fear. And to, to, and, but with an expectation, without the skill, we have more fear, and then we have more failure because we don't have the ability. Um, so really, it's that simple, is that the end of the Rad Kids program when the child's gone through all the activities in the process, whether it's home safety, school safety, out and about, doesn't matter. They understand those three principles. And instead of being afraid, their mindset is, how dare you? We train the body to respond instinctively in danger so that they will either fight or flee, not stall. And we don't mean fight, per se. We mean respond and obviously to run. And if you look at the most recent research from the National Center, for example, National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, they've done a study progressed out over years that's almost 10,000 children that have escaped abduction. And in that study, they've shown that when you yell, run, or physically resist, the child tends to get away 81% of the time. That's a pretty high stat. The problem is, is that we put that information out but Rad Kids is one of the few, if not the only organization, that actually trains that skill. In other words, we train the whole thing. And some kids don't yell. Um, depending upon how they were raised and what they were doing, they don't yell. But when you have a mindset of how dare you touch me, you have no problem yelling <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and making the bad guy go the other way. So it is a shift, and it, and it really gives the child the ability to establish their own boundaries and, in fact, then meet the parent's expectations and values, which is which is, I think, why it's so successful, is we're not taking away any power from the parents. We're actually enhancing what parents want for their children and, and creating a common language and a common bond for the child and the parent. And Rad Kids is designed to be taught with parent participation. There's a family manual that goes home. 
and there's homework assignments as well so that discussions are created between you know the family and the child so that they can establish their 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 best friend actually in danger and, and not be afraid to tell their parents what happened because they already have a communication based on those three principles. If you just joined us, we're talking with Steve Daly. He's the executive director of Rad Kids. You can find information on them at radkids.org. Um, and it's an organization which empowers uh, children. Uh, by the way, uh, Steve Daly, what does Rad, Rad Kids stand for? What is, what's the Rad Well, part? Rad Kid is a cool kid that doesn't let anybody hurt you. When we started years ago, it was uh, resisting aggression defensively for adults, and we say never say that to the children. It's just confusing. But a Rad Kid is a cool kid like, you know, Kemp's out of the X Games in California years ago. Rad is cool. Um, when I was a kid, we just used cool, but now it's rad. So, um, But Rad Kid is a cool kid that doesn't let anybody hurt them. And, and one of the things I wanted to share with you and, and, and appreciate the opportunity is there's been a strong program in Utah, especially parts of Utah, Utah County. And, and just two weeks ago, I was in Juab County. Um, and Utah has been with Rad Kids now for 12 to 14 years, but we've really tried to start spreading uh, into in, reach as many kids as possible. And and we have in Utah County reached quite a few, but it seems we there's other areas we haven't. And, and Rad Kids curriculum actually meets the educational standards in health and PE So it, in all 50 states. So it can easily be brought to your school. And I do want to share that in the class with, we just had at Juab County um, is that I met with the school board, and they're working towards... Uh, the first zero victimization schools and school district in Utah, which we were building in Texas and California. And a zero victimization school is basically a safer school that allows kids to feel more comfortable and kind of, it doesn't kind of, it takes away a whole lot of the bullying. Not all of it, but a whole lot of it by teaching all the children the Rad Kids principles. Um, one thing that's real unique about Rad Kids is that we're the only educational initiative nationally that teaches children how to stop a bully, not just how to, not just expectations, but actually how to stop it, how not to accept it, and how to stop it, and also tell. And we've had some great success um, in other parts of the country where we've created schools where a zero victimization school where no one gets hurt here, versus what adults call zero tolerance, which is an adult version of we don't allow it and a children's version of I'll get in trouble if I defend myself, I'll be suspended, has created a problem. And five years ago, the Secretary of Education in the United States called it an epic failure, but it's taken a while to get around. And we don't want our kids hurt, which is the bottom line, and the best way to do that is to teach them how to be safe in their school so that it, it kind of balances the field. Everybody's the same then, and now we can focus on learning We've shown uh, attendance go up, and we've shown bullying drop significantly in the schools that we've been able to do it. So we're excited about that, the future development. It doesn't have to be about the scary things in life. It's just about kind of being the best you can be and not letting anybody hurt you. Mm. That's a rad kid. You said uh, 81% of kids who resist uh, do, do, you know, escape abduction. That's a very hopeful number. I wonder about the uh, the 19. Uh, well, what, what, what would you, what would well, you say 19, to it? only a study that was done so that for clarity this is a study that, that has been done three or four times it's, they keep adding numbers to it it started out at like 5,000 now it's up to like 10 and these are reports of children that escaped abduction and what they did to do it so 81 percent of the time it took the child by yelling running or physically resisting 19 percent of the time an adult good adult helped them in other mm. words someone came to their aid so they're so in, in the process of this, this is how the kids got away of the 10,000 studied. Now, in Rad Kids, we've had over 150 saves from abduction, and, and we've been very, very successful in that, and many of them escaped in different ways. But one of the things that's really interesting is in abduction by a stranger, which is the one we worry about, 85% of the time it involves the use of physical force. In other words, it's not about a decision someone grabs you. And in Rad Kids of our 150 saves, less than 10% have had to use physical skills. So by teaching the kids how to recognize, avoid, resist, and if necessary, escape, we're actually breaking the paradigm of abduction because rad kids, and, and many in Utah, to be honest, were able to escape abductions without ever having the bad guy get their hands on them, mm -hmm. which is a, the best solution. Yeah. So it's been, yeah, it's been incredible seeing that, and it would, that's what makes me this excitable after 20 years of doing this mm -hmm. is that 
is that it really does help the children, and it's just getting the adults to understand what we can do for our kids is powerful if we do it. But if we hold them to expectations, we're always going to hold them to a certain level of failure. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the, st- the testing in our schools is we have these expectations. When the kids meet them, it's great, but when they don't, they think they failed. And was it really the child that failed <laughs> in that system? So it, it's, not, it's not that simple. And when it comes to danger, it is pretty simple. We want our kids, I think, as a, as a father myself, we want our kids to be safe. Um, the world is a different place, and they could meet a bad guy any day. Um, they could, there could be someone in their family that tries to hurt them, sadly. Um, statistically, that's been shown as, as a high probability as well, especially in the area of, of sexual abuse. So there's a lot of issues that our kids face that they're pretty resilient about, which is great. But if we can prepare them, and if they understand, understand and accept that no one has the right to hurt them, and rule number three, it's not their fault, they can actually live their entire life without being a victim. It doesn't mean they won't get hurt. It just means that they'll start off with nobody gets to an anger and most likely tell. And we've had that happen as well. Nothing's 100%. We're still looking for a cure. I, I make a joke all the time when I do these interviews that it's not really a joke. I'd like, a, I'd like grad kids to stop. I'd like to have a purple pill or a force field that protects our children. And then I go out and just sell that. But really... What protects us is what we know and how we live in our world. And Rad Kids can lay that foundation to support parents and families and make it safer for all of us. And that's what our goal is. So it's, well, just, we, it's just a foundation. It doesn't cure the common cold. Sometimes right. People go, you get a little excited. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I do, because I've seen the other side as a right. police officer. Um, we, we do work with Elizabeth. She's an incredible um, advocate, and she... And her father's been on our board of directors for years. Right. And so, we've been, yeah, we've been very blessed with that well, opportunity. We've... And when Elizabeth started, she said, Ken, would you work with us? And I said, absolutely. So she's well, one we've... of my new bosses. We've uh, well, you know, that's that's good. Uh, we've reached the end of our time. Uh, congratulations on the on the good work you're doing there. Steve Daly has been with us, executive director of Rad Kids. You can find out more at radkids.org. Steve Daly, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity. And anybody who needs help can reach us on the website. Okay, great. And thanks for listening to Access Utah.